You are listening to Seattle Sports Saturday with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Coming up in this hour, got some good talk on villains in sports. What makes a good villain? Who are the best villains in today's sports world? Including one feud in the NBA that really sort of inspired this conversation. That's coming up in about 45 minutes from now here in Seattle Sports Saturday. Also, uh, Lydia, we've got your conversation with Maura Dooley, who is uh, on the sidelines today of Mm -hmm. the Dragons Battlehawks XFL game coming up at 2 p.m. We'll get into that about a half hour from now. Uh, But, yeah, the Dragons, they're 1-2. and They're going for their second win, but they go into one of the tougher environments in the XFL. It's going to be loud in the Dome. They're happy to have football back in that city. Yes. And... They also are just one of the better teams in this league. I would put them up there with the Houston Roughnecks and Dallas pretty good as well, but the D.C. Defenders, all four of those teams, uh, pretty good. So it'll be fun to watch. They've got a pretty good quarterback in Jordan Te'amu and Kristen Michael. Mm. You know. Can't, you just can't shake. You can't shake him. <laughs> you, you try to, but he's just he's always there. Keeps he's never never quite away. I, I, I kind of thought last year when – uh, Carson and Penny both went down, and the Seahawks were bringing back all the old guys. I was like, I wonder like how close John Schneider got to picking up the phone for Kristen Michael. Was it was like, like eh, is this number maybe? in your phone? Is like, don't do it, yeah. or like, call C Mike? Uh, who knows? But hey, we got they got Marshawn Lynch and Robert Turbin back. I think Kristen Michael was probably next if one of those guys said, you know what, I'm okay. I don't. But hey. What's old is new again. (laughs) Let's get into this hour's big three. Number one. Well, as it always is, quarterbacks, they have been getting all the attention. At the Combine, Joe Burrow might be warming up to the idea of playing for Cincinnati if they draft him, saying he'll go to the team that selects him. No word yet if he'll be pouty if he does go to Cincinnati. Tua Tagovailoa, he continued to rack up good health reports regarding the hip injury that ended his college career. He said his goal coming into the Combine was to just win his medicals, and it looks like he did that this weekend. As for the veteran quarterbacks in the NFL, Cam Newton looks as though he'll return to Carolina after head coach Matt Rule nearly said as much. Dak Prescott and the Cowboys, they have finally started to hold contract talks for the first time since September. Prescott rumored to be asking in the neighborhood of $40 million for his services. The Cowboys uh, could potentially use the franchise tag on Dak which would be around $33 million for the 2020 season. Obviously, Prescott looking to get a longer-term deal done with Dallas. Is he a Super Bowl-caliber quarterback? Remains to be seen, but when you have a young quarterback as talented as him in your system, you do everything you can to keep him there. And then the old guy on the block, Tom Brady, 42 years old. His service is still very much in need and according to ESPN's Jeff Darlington he said he'd be stunned stunned I tell you if Tom Brady returns to New England in 2020 obviously this could just be posturing on Tom Brady's representations part Don Yee his agent was at the combine this week in Indianapolis and is rumored to have met with the Colts and also with a couple other teams as well this week who knows what Tom Brady's future looks like but it could very well be somewhere else besides New England Coming up in the 2020 season. Number two. Well, spring training underway, and we'll dig into some more Mariners conversation because we're going to lead you right up into the 
uh, to the pregame show. Right oh, yeah. At noon, right here. We're passing the baton off. Exactly. We'll discuss the lineup for today. Also, some of the best notes from spring training ahead at 1130 this morning. But first, just some notes from across the league at spring training. It's one of my favorite times of the year. But also getting some big headlines, especially in the AL. Yankees pitcher Luis Severino, he is done for the year. He'll have to have season-ending Tommy John surgery. The Yankees hit with another loss now because we know James Paxton's going to be out for a couple of months with a back issue. And also slugger Giancarlo Stanton will likely miss opening day with them. He's got a grade one calf strain. So some bad news. Uh, in the Yankees' front, I'm not bad news if you're a Mariners fan. Definitely not. Like anyone else. How about Astros players? How are they doing? Let's check uh. in on them. Seven Astros batters have been hit by pitches if you're keeping tally at home. I know Asterisk Tour on Twitter is. It is a pretty funny account. If you if you need another Twitter follow, they keep track of like every Astros batter hit by a pitch. Okay. They I can actually, get that. Yeah, exactly. They are uh, circulating some pretty incredible content about how the shame tour for the Astros 2020 is going so far. Also included is the fact that a Dodgers fan group has bought 3,000 tickets to the Angels home opener against the Whoa. against the Astros. So picture this, a section of 3,000 Dodgers fans <laughs> sitting together shaming the Houston Astros at the Angels' home opener. This thing is going to continue all throughout this season, and it's going to be in really creative, laughable ways. Also, just a note from Jeff Passan yesterday, even though Major League Baseball removed marijuana from its banned substance list during the offseason, the league told players they remain subject to potential discipline for using or possessing the drug. So interesting wrinkle in that as well. Number three. Some more NFL news and notes from a busy week in Indianapolis. The NFLPA could begin voting on the proposed CBA as early as Wednesday of this week. John Clayton floating that out there on Twitter yesterday. In total, the voting process could take up to nearly two weeks to complete just because there's thousands of players in the NFLPA. Multiple star players, though, including Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, and J.J. Watt, have all spoken out against the proposed CBA. Other news, the league's franchise tag window has begun with the most notable player expected to receive it being Kansas City's Chris Jones. ESPN's Adam Schefter reporting on Friday, Tampa Bay is leaning towards using theirs on defensive end Shaq Barrett and letting Jameis Winston hit free agency. Speaking of free agency, the 2020 salary cap expected to jump from $188 million in 2019 to over $200 million, potentially being about $205 million in 2020 and you look at the salary cap numbers just over the last decade it was about 120 million in 2010 now it's over 205 million a decade from that point who knows what it's going to look like at the end of this next cba maybe 300 million 400 million it's going to be a furious spending spree in the nfl over the next couple of weeks once free agency opens in the middle of march that is this hour's big three and speaking of somebody get paid tony romo $17 $17 million per at CBS. Uh, that is what he is going to get paid Ooh. over the course of his next contract. Hey, shout out to Romo for getting those checks. I, I don't blame him for taking that that penny. If somebody's going to offer you that kind of money, you take it every Again, single time. That's the theme of the show, too. Not going to shame anyone no. for getting paid. Uh, don't mind it. But uh, just going to be looking forward to more quotes from him. Oh, my goodness. 
just just epic. God. Good for you, Romo. We got to see this. We, we got it. We got to see that pace, though. Oh, yeah. All those zeros. <laughs> impressive, impressive. Uh, and then college basketball last week, number one Baylor, number two Gonzaga, and number four San Diego State all lost last weekend. Baylor losing to Kansas, who now becomes the number one team in the country. Gonzaga falling to BYU on the road, and San Diego State losing at home to, I believe it was uh, UNLV yeah, at the Viejas Center in San Diego. Uh, speaking of number one Kansas, they meet up with Kansas State for the first time today since that huge brawl they had earlier in the season. I think it might be a little extra security in Manhattan today. I would believe so. But I believe both coaches probably gave their teams a talking to and said that that was unacceptable. Yeah. We can't have that happening again. Yeah. is Am I in a victim of recency bias, Curtis, or has there been more upsets seemingly oh. this year than this year's NCAA tournament is going to be the toughest to predict in a long time. You look up and down the top 25 right now, there are so many teams with like seven, eight, nine losses this this late into the season where normally, it, you know, everybody's got four or five losses at this point of the year, but just there have been so many teams that have been taking L's like crazy. Uh, it, it's so bizarre to look at right now. I mean, you got Florida State and Dayton in the top six. Uh, the preseason number one was Michigan State. They're yeah. eighteen and nine right now. Yeah, they were. Everybody thought they were going to be amazing this season. Eighteen and nine at this point in the year, they're ranked twenty fourth in the country. And they went down right out of the gate too. Yeah, very first game of the season. Um, but yeah, this year's March Madness is going to be just that. And uh, conference tournament time, I believe, starts here in a couple of weeks. I think. The Huskies only have, what, two games remaining in their regular season. It's the road trip to the Arizona schools. So, I mean, we're near conference tournament time, which is, that's, I think, the the start of the madness. It's not as crazy as the first weekend of the NCAA tournament, but it is exciting. You, obviously, there are those moments in conference tournament time, most notably here, Isaiah Thomas with his shot. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I'm sorry, Siraj. <laughs> if we could separate and put any other team involved in that on the other side of it just alone the Gus Johnson call yeah like, it would not hurt as much bunch, as it does because but, like as an Arizona diehard as an alum as just everything red white and blue that is University of Arizona like if that had happened against Cal or Stanford or USC UCLA it would not hurt as much because I hear about it from Husky fans in this town oh, at all times. Sorry, so I know. Woe is me. You know, it's a rough life yeah, being an Arizona Wildcat basketball is. fan. Also, <laughs> we were talking about the Astros. John Heyman, who is, <sighs> uh, he's bless his heart. I can't say his name without also going. Ugh. Yeah, he tweeted this week about the Astros, I guess looking for some sympathy towards them. He goes, if it makes anyone feel better. No, it doesn't. There's no doubt the Astros players are suffering from their shenanigans. Some of them seem sad. With others, it feels like they've lost their edge. It doesn't make me feel better, John. It doesn't. So, like, get out of here with that. Get out of here with that. If you're trying to, like, play the sad violin music right about now, just... and that, and we've heard a little bit from the Astros camp too, trying to flip the narrative into we're underdogs, and you'll see us back in the World Series, and this is just like another step in our journey. Get out of here! Miss me with that, John. Okay, 
Coming up next, we dive into some of the biggest headlines coming from the NFL Combine this week, including Tom Brady maybe on his way out of New England. That's next, Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Yes, we want this music for the whole segment, Matt. It's NFL primetime music. I'm just sorry. That's Matt Nelson, one of the greats to ever do it on a board. I'm waving to him. He hates yeah. it. He hates he hates attention. He's get telling us to get on Stop with talking it. About you. Talk about sports. Okay. <laughs> This week at the NFL Combine, so much to get to from this week, including one Jeff Darlington, who is very much under the impression that Tom Brady is not coming back to New England. Here's what he had to say. I feel like we need to have a talk here. <laughs> because no matter how many times we say that Tom Brady is likely to not play for the Patriots next year, I either get blasted or told that I am wrong. That makes sense because we cannot wrap our heads around it. There are people very close to Tom Brady who are being told by Tom Brady, it's not going to happen. Like, I'm going somewhere else. Like, that's the way that we're operating here within those circles. And yet even those people don't necessarily believe that Tom, at the end of the day, won't go into Bill Belichick's office and Belichick won't sit there and say to him, Tom, we need you back. We have to have you back. And that Tom Brady will return to the Patriots. We need to wrap our minds around the fact that it is far more likely than not that Tom Brady will not be back with the Patriots. I am now at the point where I would be stunned if Tom Brady returns to the Patriots. Wrap your mind around that. Stop being in denial, world. It's so overly dramatic. We, as a people, need to come to terms and accept this as a possible reality. Yeah, all right. It's a cool, possible man. reality. Yeah, like, I get it. The world's still going to turn. Lots like, of other we're, things we're are going to happen. Yeah, we're going to wake up the very next day just feeling the same. I'm like, going to be okay. Like, this is a possibility that's been spoken about for over a year now. Like, I think we're ready for Tom Brady to potentially leave New England. I am also ready if it just means that we can stop talking about it yeah. as well. So I wonder if Darlington is speaking more for the Boston contingent and the Patriots contingent, because I would imagine, yes, that's, that is how they're feeling. We heard Ben Affleck on Get Up just still yes. adamant that, uh, yeah, he's still continuing that Tom Brady fandom that he started on Bill Simmons' short-lived show, uh, where he went on the rant about Deflate Gate, but also joining Get Up to talk about how he believes he'll be back. And then Mark Wahlberg was the latest, latest Boston native this week on Jimmy Kimmel talking about how he believed that, yeah, absolutely, like, why wouldn't he be back? Because it's it's Tom. And uh, I'm sure, and I love the narrative in their mind, too, is that Belichick just needs to come to his senses and pay Tom whatever he wants because uh, the, hopefully they wise up and they'll just come to their good senses. Also in the NFL this week, the franchise tag window is now open, and we've gotten some hints on who's going to get tagged. Kansas City likely going to use theirs on defensive tackle Chris Jones. I think that was somebody who I think Stacey Rost had in mind for the Seahawks to look at if Jadevian Clowney wasn't going to come back to Seattle. Our own uh, Taylor Jacobs also yeah. proving that. Yeah, so uh, a name who I think a lot of Seahawks fans had in mind, may not be on the market for them. Also, Tampa Bay rumored to be using theirs on Shaq Barrett, not on Jameis Winston. 
So you wonder what the future of quarterback is going to be like with the Buccaneers. Maybe they make a run at Phillip Rivers, Tom Brady. Maybe they go somewhere in the draft and get somebody. I feel like Bruce Arians is somebody that doesn't want to sit through the growing pains of having to develop a young quarterback. Unless it's you know a, a young quarterback he can stash behind a veteran for a couple of seasons. Yeah, and then unless it's it's his guy. Yeah, that he feels that he can, you know, the, be the whisperer with someone he can share a mutual interest of Miatas with, or, newsboy hats. Yeah, horn rim glasses. Yeah, somebody that you know just those are the things that's that that's him. That's him. Also, also this, not hating on any of those things. No, you definitely go. not. It'd be you. Yeah. Live your life, man. That's, that's what you do. Uh, Mel Kuyper Jr., probably the foremost draft expert out there, he explained this week why Washington should move on from Dwayne Haskins and bring in one Tua Tagovailoa. Tua's healthy. I think a projection of being healthy and the, progre- the progress from these injuries is what they want it to be. And they get medical clearance from their staff, their medical staff, their experts. you got to consider Tua and let him go. And if Haskins turns out to be better, and I'm not writing off Dwayne Haskins by any stretch of the imagination here, if he turns out to be the guy, then you trade Tua. It happened with Walsh and Aikman. And, you know, obviously, Rosen was traded, didn't get a lot in return, but Kyler Murray became the guy. Rosen was a you know, high pick in the first round. So you're talking about still a case where you need to have the great quarterback. Do you think teams nowadays will take a page out of the Cardinals' playbook and what they did over the last two years when they saw Josh Rosen in for a season, knew what they had in him, and saw the available quarterbacks and said, you know what, the guy who's available to us at pick number one is – better than what we already have despite the fact that we took a quarterback last year and they're going to cut bait on Josh or they did cut bait on him you think Washington who has the number two overall pick this year they look at Dwayne Haskins and see something similar to what Arizona had with Josh Rosen and like hey Tua could be better than what we already have why should we continue on with Dwayne Haskins if there's somebody better I think yes. Also, and it reminds me because of the the same a similar changeover in leadership, whether it's the GM or the head coaching position, and you have a new philosophy in place, and you want your guy, right? If that person doesn't fit within your scheme and what you want to accomplish there, and how pivotal that role is, and especially the years where you can underpay for that person. Yeah, if, if you can move on without a bit huge cost to your organization, I think you have to. So I could definitely see that happening. I think teams, when they are in that position where they draft a quarterback and he's not good in his rookie season, they kind of feel like, nope, we have to steer into this skid. we got to make him good. We're going to go two, three, four years with him. And imagine if the Cardinals had stuck with Josh Rosen, where they would be right now if they had passed on Kyler Murray – I don't think the trajectory of that franchise would be as upward as it is right now. I think the Cardinals are headed towards much more competitive seasons in the near future. But if they still had Josh Rosen calling plays, I still think they'd be they'd be wandering around for a few more years before they finally settle on. I hate to bring up bias for a second time in the show, but I was a psych major and I just love talking about it. But this is this is loss aversion too. As soon as you acquire something, you tend to have a skewed vision on how much it's worth. So once you've acquired that pick, you might view it differently than other organizations do. And I think you're right. People steer into it because they say, well, we invested in this person. We invested so gotta much make capital. Got to make, make it work. work. And to the detriment of they don't understand or see what they could potentially 
uh, get or gain by letting that person go or finding a trade partner. Honestly, I'd be surprised if Tua makes it past Detroit at number three because I think Detroit is looking at what they have in Matt Stafford and saying, can this guy get us to more than a nine-win season in a first-round playoff exit? And if, if they can't, if they don't get that sense from Matthew Stafford, I think they, they might cut bait as well. Uh, also this week, Joe Burrow saying he will play wherever he's picked, which could very well be Cincinnati. With any quarterback, fit is really important. Um, but you don't have a lot of say in that in the draft. You know, they, whoever picks you, picks you, and you, you got to go play. Um, so I'm, I'm going to try to make whoever picks me work. I think that my skill set is really diverse that um, can fit in a lot of different schemes. So I'm going to try to be the best player I can, best player I can for whoever drafts me. That does not sound like somebody who's psyched to go play for Cincinnati. It's just, yeah, I'll go where, I'll, where I'm picked. Mentioning there that fit is really important, too, I think, is you, you don't have a ton of power when you're in that position, and unfortunately, but that's just the way that it is. And you're still going to get a nice, hefty paycheck to go along with it, but, yeah, it just might mean that you're, you end up in a situation that's not ideal for your development. Although he seems to have the skill set where I think he can succeed just about anywhere. I'll gladly go make $30 million to live in Cincinnati. Let's go. Yeah. If any Cincinnati radio station wants to pay us $30 million, right? got to open up that pocketbook, they, they, 710. Skyline Chili. They've got legendary <laughs> chili, don't they, there? Yeah. They've got um, a river that runs mm-hmm. through. Yep. Uh, Procter & Gamble, P&G also there. Hey, so in case you need any need like beauty products. products. Uh, also, this week, we learned that the Arizona Cardinals will be one of the teams that play in Mexico City this season. And you look at the Seahawks' schedule, three of their opponents will play international games this year. The Dolphins will play in London. The Falcons will play in London. Uh, and also, the Cardinals will play in Mexico City, which now it's starting to look more and more like the Seahawks could have an international game this season. I'd be down to go to Mexico City to watch the Seahawks play. That'd be a cool, mm-hmm. cool adventure. Yeah, I think uh, they certainly have the fan base there. I know they've had some field issues yes. the past couple of years, having concerts on the fields. I think maybe it was a Shakira concert, actually, that tore it up one year. Because we know things get wild and crazy at a Shakira concert. They do. We're not hating. But, yeah, just some of the, the field concerns, I guess, would be my only trepidation for that. And I know the travel schedule's rough, but you get the bye week usually afterwards. The London game, I was able to go to that. It was so much fun. Yeah. And I just think in international, it's clearly a point of focus for this league. It's going to happen uh, for the next several years that we, we play these international games. And we've even heard some discussion about potentially a team, international. I don't know. Who was it? Was it the uh, Tennessee Titans or the Carolina Panthers that have really been? It's the Jags. It's the Jags. Wow, Shot I'm way gone. off. That's what it was because I was like, yeah, Jacksonville, of course. It wouldn't be a they, They're going to have two London three. games this year. Yes. That's nuts. Yep. Those are some of the biggest headlines in the NFL this week. When we return. Jacksonville, I was way off. <laughs> I'm going to do the Samsonite. <laughs> Samsonite, I was way off. Coming up next, Lydia, you had a chance to sit down with our very own Maura Dooley, who's going to be on the sidelines today of the Dragons Battle Hawks game in St. Louis. We'll get to that conversation coming up right here on Seattle Sports Saturday. 
Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Seattle Sports Saturday. Curtis Rogers, Lydia Cruz, taking you up into the Mariners game right here on 710 ESPN Seattle, but also later in the day for your viewing pleasure. The Seattle Dragons taking on the St. Louis Battlehawks in the Dome. Another loud crowd out there. And before that game, we wanted to get you ready for it. Maura Dooley, Dragons Insider, sat down with me earlier this week as part of our Dragons Insider show every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Here's that conversation. Cross from me right now, fellow Dragons Insider Maura Dooley. How are you, my friend? Hello, I'm wonderful. How are you? Uh, I'm better now that you're here. It's always (laughs) fun uh, to get to do this show together. Now, it was a rough one for the Dragons last Saturday. We were on the sidelines, and to see the crowd again coming out strong, CenturyLink Field, that crowd pretty loyal, and unfortunately they couldn't end up getting that win against the Dallas Renegades. But in the first half, it looked like things were trending in the right direction. What do you think went wrong in the second half? Well, I I think as Kenneth Farrow, the running back, told me, they kind of shot themselves in the foot. Because, you know, they did clean up a lot of the the mistakes that they had had on offense in the first half. It was great to see them get started early, which they hadn't really done so far. And, um, you know, first drive, they scored a uh, Brandon Silvers threw a touchdown to Austin Prohl. But then in the second half, immediately, and then that's the hard part is that the defense, I think, had been out there, has been out there so much over the last couple of games. They started to have some issues and some penalties. And then they had a special teams penalty where the Gunners got there a little bit early. And then the offense had some drives that stalled. And so it was kind of a culmination, I think, of... Perfect storm. Yeah. Just some some mistakes. And then they got a turnover. Marcel Frazier coming up big again. Let's go. A, a strip sack, yeah. And One week after the pick six. Why not? He's on fire. Um, but they couldn't capitalize off of that. And it just seems like the, the overall feeling after the game was just that they had missed opportunities. It reminds you of a Pete Carroll saying, you can't win a game in the first quarter, the second quarter, the third quarter, but yes, you can win it in the fourth quarter. And I think the Dallas Renegades had a similar experience against the LA Wildcats. Looks like the Wildcats were going to sort of walk away with that one. And then, no, 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 later in the game, Landry Jones coming alive and finding his footing a little bit more. They've just been known for some of those sluggish starts and then late game heroics and doing it again against the Dragons on Saturday. How about this week? You've been out at practice every day and you've gotten to see the team kind of get a feel for the mentality moving into this week's matchup, which again will be a tough one. Heading to St. Louis, heading to a place where the crowd's shown out. It gets loud in the dome there. What's the vibe like at practice this week? Um, I think, you know, they're resilient. I, th- I think this team is uh, kind of in- indignant about the, the doubters right now, mm-hmm. even though they, you know, have had a couple of losses where they, they made some mistakes. I think they think those are perfectly fixable. And obviously it's early in the season still. And so I think that they are ready just to get back out there again, get that behind them and prove themselves. But they know that St. Louis is a, a tough test and that, as you mentioned, that's a hostile environment. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of the players have mentioned that they're preparing themselves for that because they've you know, experienced that on the other side with how they've said the Dragons fans were really helping them out on third down, getting really loud. And, and you can see, I could see it in the Tampa Bay game, them holding onto their helmets, trying to get the call. But St. Louis has a similar advantage. Their first <laughs> yeah. home game, the attendance was actually slightly higher than uh, the Dragons. Again, that is a place built to get loud. St. Louis a little bitter over the Rams leaving. So excited to have football back in there. And they proved it last week. It's also just a pretty good team. Both their quarterback, uh, their running backs, 
Kristen Michael, former Seahawks uh, hero here in Seattle, but um, also as well, they've got the leading rusher on their team. So it's going to be a tough test for the defense. Now, more if we take a look at the injury report this week, we notice some positive trends too, though, right? We're not seeing Kaysen Williams probably on the field this week. You heard from Coach Zorn this week on that. But how about Isaiah Battle? Is he trending in the right direction? Yes. Um, Coach Storm was asked straight up at practice yesterday, is he going to play or does he have a chance to play? And he said he does have a chance. So we we haven't gotten a a definite confirmation yet. there's a chance. Exactly. (laughs) And this was who was drafted to be their left tackle originally, and he hasn't been on the field yet. Some people may recognize his name because he was um, with the Seahawks during training camp a while back. And he's a large large man. So you definitely think that that will help because also um, Coach Zorn has spoken about the fact that they, I think a lo- the majority of their injuries have been along the offensive line. So they've mm-hmm. had to play some musical linemen yeah. and start people at positions that aren't natural to them. And that is going to take its toll after a while. He was you know, quick to say that he doesn't want to make excuses with that, but that that has had an impact on the offense. And we even saw that with the Seahawks in the past couple of years, you, when you don't have that continuity and so much of your offensive mentality and philosophy and scheme is based on being a run first team, they just they certainly have the talent in the backfield here with the Dragons. Uh, it just it creates problems. Like you mentioned, they lost Cyril earlier this year. Dylan Day, I think, popped on on that uh, injury report yeah. at some time. So uh, hopefully Isaiah Battle back in there because we know how important the left tackle is to to your run game, the three-headed monster, you know, they want to run the ball. And it was cool to see a lot of them get going, too. Dual threats out there. Kenneth Farrow and Trey Williams also pretty good in the in the passing game as well. Yeah, and they've been pass catching since week one, but even Jaquan Gardner was catching some passes last yeah. week, and he, that hadn't been a thing for him. So that's always just nice to have that added threat. Uh, especially because, you know, Brandon Silvers, we, we saw a little bit of uh, running from him last <laughs> week, more than we have, but he's not exactly what you would say as Prototypical a, a mobile threat quarterback. Mobile. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Now, am I right in remembering that uh, Jaquan Gardner was one of your players to watch last week? Yes, he was. Okay, and so I'd say you, I'd say you picked uh, a correct option there. Now, this week, who are you going to have your eye on and who is going to be on your list? So it's gonna that's gonna be up uh, um, on the Seattle Dragons website tomorrow. So I'm doing three players to watch every week. So teaser, you get to hear it first, yes. right here. So uh, Brock Miller is going to be on there, the punter. I know punters don't get a lot of love, but even uh, Coach Zorn shouted him out in the post game presser because he he's been averaging. I want to say Zorn said it was about 45, 46 mm-hmm. yards a punt, which. Um, we've heard that this XFL ball from Mark Wet King has said that it's not that easy to hit the sweet spot. And so the fact that Brock Miller has been so consistent in the first few games and uh, is just killing it has been awesome. So I'm going to have a little bit of a story on him. Nice. Also going to talk about Ruben Moela, who's yeah. another guy that's coming uh, off IR. Hopefully we'll get to play this week. But if not next week, he's been getting some practice time in. And all I hear with him when anybody talks about him is speed. Like, all right. Just he's fast. Um, so that's definitely going to help on offense. And then um, the other person that I talked to is uh, Godwin Iguabuque. Yes. I talked to him in-game last week and posted a video of that. It was it was very popular because he's one of those guys that has a personality that you just you gravitate towards. Asked him how he felt after his interception, and he said, blessed and highly favored. Yes, let's go. Yeah, he's been pretty remarkable here for the Dragons. I think Dave Wyman mentioned him as one of those guys, the NFL caliber guys, that he could see taking that step to the next level. So he's on your list again this week. 
Let's go. Yeah. Well, we, it was. I had Jeremy Clark last week. Now okay, Godwin perfect. Yeah. There's so many great players in the secondary here that I feel like you, it's almost a plug and play. Yeah. But Jeremy Clark also. Let's do a quick update on him because he popped up on the injury report just uh, just today. Actually, he's in there with a hand a hand injury as a limited participant. Any any news on him? Uh, he injured it in practice today. I believe it was a situation where it was just the angle that the ball hit his hand. Mm-hmm. So um, not uh, we don't have a clear update on that, but he had some ice on it and was there at the end of practice. I'm crossing my fingers that there'll be good news there because he's a great player. Great player and also one of the creators, inventors of the turnover mask we got to see on the broadcast <laughs> last week. Now, the origins of this, I talked to Jeremy a little bit about it this week. He said he's claiming credit. He's saying uh, other guys might try to take credit for it, but it uh, actually belongs to him. Um, but you also talked to Channing Stribling about it? I did. And Former teammate? Channing did give him credit. He said it was Jeremy okay, Clark's fair. idea, and it was his mask. Um, but Channing said that originally the idea was a turnover umbrella, oh. and they were just going to be casually sitting on the sidelines with an umbrella um, because <laughs> it's Seattle. I mean, I kind of like it. I, the, in the whole realm of turnover things, it would be the weirdest or, are, I don't know. Uh, there's some strange ones out there's there. There's some weird ones. I believe at Oregon State, they have a chainsaw. They have the turnover oh, yeah. chainsaw, which seems outright unsafe. So, yeah. But I kind of glad I like the turnover mask. Yeah, you mentioned unsafe with the chainsaw. He told me there is a concern with the turnover mask where he wants to make sure everybody gets their own. They maybe want to personalize them with some Dragons logos or, and their names on them. But he said right now they only have the one, which he realizes is kind of unsanitary. Oh, okay. Well, looking out, that's actually good. We, we want to maintain health at all times here, moving throughout the future. So the turnover mask, we might see personalized ones uh, here pretty soon, according, according to Maura Dooley. Thank you so much for joining me. And uh, what are you looking forward to, finally, before we get out of here, to watching this weekend? Because you will actually be on the sidelines in St. Louis. What are you going to be watching for? I think that they're going to play a more disciplined game this week. I think they're they're cleaning up some of those those concerns, and I I think the offense can get off to a quick start like they did last week. Just hope they can carry that over. I think the defense has been doing really well, so hopefully the offense can keep them off the field a little bit more, and I just think that balance will help things so much. So. And you mentioned, too, that St. Louis is a team that's pretty disciplined, and they were last week. So this is when you have to lock down any mistakes because you just can't make them against a really disciplined team. Yeah, and Coach Zorn mentioned that. He knows that. So, um, you know, Kenneth Farrow told me they're just back to the basics this week. Just make sure that you're playing clean football. I love it. All right, we'll make sure everybody uh, checks it out. It's 2 p.m. kickoff time on Saturday. That's going to be on Fox Pacific time, of course. Maura will be on the sidelines and posting amazing videos, as she always does. Where can people follow you if they don't already? Uh, So on Twitter, I am at Maura, M-A-U-R-A, underscore dual, D-O-O-L. Perfect. And you can also follow along at XFL Dragons because they retweet Maura's videos. So Mm -hmm. Follow along for all of the updates on Saturday. Thank you again, Maura, for dropping by. Thank you, Lydia. Maura Dooley, join in our very own Lydia Cruz. You can check out the Dragons Insider Podcast on 710sports.com. That airs every Wednesday night, 7 p.m., or following the Mariners here in spring training. Uh, yeah, make sure you're downloading that because there is some very awesome Dragons content uh, with that, the players are just the best part of this yes. team. I feel like because they all have great stories and 
the adversity they've faced and been through to get to this league and to play is pretty cool. So hopefully the, the Dragons able to get another W today. Yeah, their game coming up at 2 p.m. this afternoon on Fox as they take on the St. Louis Battlehawks. Coming up next, we've got a beef in the NBA that has spurred on a conversation we're about to have about villains in sports. What makes a good villain? Do sports need villains in order to create the drama we crave? We talk that coming up next here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Gotta have villains, right? That's what makes a good story. That's what makes any good movie. That's what makes... You can't have heroes without without villains. I feel that. That gets a 100 emoji (laughs) following that kind of take right there. But in the NBA this week, this is where we've kind of started this conversation. And it's got, it's got, I guess, legs to it. It's got branches from it. There's a beef going on between two super-duper star players, Giannis Antetokounmpo, who I think in this beef between him and James Harden represents good. He represents... He's the Luke Skywalker yes. of this situation, sure. And James Harden, who... I think represents the villainous aspect of this beef. I'm not going to say you're full Darth Vader, no. But maybe you're like Anakin Skywalker before he went over to fully to the dark side. You know, who's sort of like experimenting, <laughs> just dabbling. Yeah, just dabbling. Yep. To be honest, like he's a very likable guy. He's got a, an innocence to him, and it's still pretty remarkable to think that he has only like lived in America for about five years, and he, you know. He's 24 years old. He's a new father. He's just a, a very likable guy. He has a 100-watt smile. I remember the moment he first discovered, was it corn dogs? I think at the mall? that and smoothies. At the, the Giannis Mall food tour was one of the greatest uh, series of videos created in my life. There's a story of Giannis when he first got to the United States where this couple was in a... Uber or a taxi or whatever, and they were driving on their way to the Bucks Arena, and they saw this really tall guy sprinting down the sidewalk. And they're like, "That guy, like, why is he running so fast towards the arena? And he's really tall. Is he a player?" They turn, they they stop the car, and it's Giannis. And apparently, like Giannis's car broke down, and he had no other way of getting the, to the arena other than just running as fast as he could because he thought he was going to be late. They're like, get in the car, get in the car. And so he gets in and they make it to the arena all at once. And like just that kind of you know innocence to him makes him so likable, I think. Whereas James Harden, for whatever reason, has not been so kind to Giannis. And Giannis obviously has not returned that favor because somebody's not being kind to you. It's really hard to be kind in that way. And James Harden has taken his shots at Giannis. Last year, they were both 1-2 and two in the MVP voting. Uh, Harden finishing second to Giannis. And James Harden, I don't think, has forgotten that. Giannis made a dig at James Harden during the All-Star Game draft this last year, saying he wanted guys with defense. They said, hey, don't you want the guy that can dribble between a couple of candidates? And they said, oh, I want a guy that can pass. Oof. I oh, mean, yeah. it was kind of funny. Everybody in the room <laughs> laughed. Even, like, LeBron was trying to not laugh at the moment, but. But Harden this week sat down with Rachel Nichols of ESPN, and 
was asked, I guess, about the differences between his playing style and Giannis and had some very direct words for the reigning MVP. Giannis Antetokounmpo makes a joke on the air about, uh, I want to take someone who can pass. I'm taking Kemba Walker instead of James Harden. I have more assists than him, I think. You ranked 10th in assists going into the All-Star break, and Kemba ranked 36th in assists going into the All-Star break. So I, don't see, I, don't, I don't see what the joke is, but I don't even, I, I didn't even see it. You know, I, don't, I don't pay attention to stuff like that. Uh, I just know none of them can mess with me. You know, when it's, when it's all said and done, you know, they'll appreciate it more. You know, but I wish I could just run, run and with seven feet and run and just dunk. Like, that takes no skill at all. <laughs> I got to actually learn how to play basketball and how to have skill. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. <laughs> no. I don't think anybody's questioned Giannis's skill. And no. to say that he, he doesn't have any? Uh. The escalation of this is, you know, it's one of those things where it could have been just kind of a, a harmless dig or maybe just a, a funny comment, but now the escalations truly happened. So do we have one of the first or one of the most recent great rivalries in sports? Because I feel like, yes, in the NBA you get plenty of drama or some of these headlines, but it doesn't feel like it is, I don't know, a true, true rivalry. Yeah, because I, I don't think those two have met in any sort of playoff scenario where everything's on the line. They've only played just regular season games against each other, and that is due in large part because Giannis is in the Eastern Conference, James Harden and the Rockets are in the Western Conference, so the only time they would ever meet in the playoffs would be in the NBA Finals, and I mean, James Harden's probably not getting there anytime soon. At least that's his recent playoff history. But you look at villains in sports, and we've got some really good ones right in now? this day and age. Yeah. Specifically in that same city of Houston <laughs> with the Astros and Major League Baseball. They somehow have become so unlikable. They have surpassed the Yankees and Red Sox, which I didn't think was any was possible. And yet, I will... You know, I'll crack a smile every time I see the Astros get beat this season. I will watch games with anticipating players getting hit. Uh, you've got the Patriots in the NFL, mm-hmm. one of the least likable franchises ever. It's the combination of being really good, but also similar to the Astros, of also doing anything necessary to win. The the change in narrative and the change in storyline of what happened to the Astros in the past couple of years has been incredible because I read the book Astro Ball when it came out and to see how they were everyone's darling, they built their team the right way, the Astros way, sort of Moneyball-esque in the way that they built their uh, sabermetrics department, they evaluated talent, where they drafted, and then to see it flip, in the span of about a year here. Yeah. And then now going on a probably for the end of time, but definitely at least one season's worth of a shame tour. Oh, yeah. I think the luster lost from that 2017 World Series and the near one they had last year, I think that's going to continue for two, three, four years into the future. Forever long, Altuve and Bregman remain Houston Astros, I think. Is going to be, and George Springer and all these guys that were on that World Series team three seasons ago. I think it's going to be something that oh, lasts. Right. And you mentioned how Roger Goodell is probably sending a, fa- a flower bouquet to, uh, to Rob, Rob Manfred, Manfred, or maybe you know one of those edible arrangements. Oh yeah, but, but that's exactly probably how the Yankees and the Red Sox feel here. Yeah. You guys. You guys. And what's crazy is that the Red Sox also involved in sign yes. stealing of their own. 
but they have not felt the brunt of it the way Houston has, even though they also won a World Series as probably a direct result of what they did or didn't, or of what they did very shady. And their narrative has also changed dramatically in the past 10, 15 years, right, too? Yeah. Where they were everyone's darling and the lovable losers. Lovable losers. And now that's kind of flipped. So we want your take. What are, who are the best villains across all sports? Text in 710 710 to the Coors Light text line because we want your suggestions. Now, you added this question to our show sheet. (laughs) Has Seattle ever been the villain in any sport? Which I think to most Seattle fans, like, what? What what would we ever do? Like we've never done anything to anybody. <laughs> Got to be honest. Like the Mariners have never been the villain, right? The Sonics were never the villain. But what about the Seahawks in 2012, 2013, 2014? We remember them so fondly here. Mm-hmm. But you look at just the brashness of that team, the way they would beat you and then let you know about it days later. I got to imagine there were some NFL fans out there that even though the Patriots did beat the Seahawks in Super Bowl Forty Nine, they took a little bit of a glee from that game because I mean, yeah. the Seahawks just how how loud they were about how good they were. Uh, you know, I think maybe they did wear that villain cape just a little bit. Just a little years. bit. I think they don't have the same history of winning. That also lends itself to being. You know, more of that archetype in a story is if you have a long storied history of winning and success or you've been to the Super Bowl several times, won a lot in the past. But, uh, yeah, I would argue for that moment in time, they're up there, if we're honest with ourselves. Maybe like the Washington Huskies early 90s, Don James era as well. But, yeah, there's, let's be honest, nobody's, let's hope we can get to it one day where the Mariners are the villains because they win that much. I gotta say, it is fun being the villain. It, it is a lot. It, there is a good feeling of that. I remember being Arizona Wildcats. Yeah, exactly. Basketball. I think Arizona still in the Pac-12, especially with the you know did players get paid, did they not? The FBI investigation. I think they are still very much the villainous school in college basketball in the West Coast. And gotta be honest, whenever Arizona Don't picks up, it. yeah, when they pick up a huge win over people that you know have have taken shots at them, I puff my chest out a little bit more. I you know I defend my guys that much stronger. It's it's so fun to be rooting for a team in that spot. And yeah, the way teams may have gotten to that point, you know, not a good way, but it is fun to to root for the villains in sports. And you know, we y'all we got to dabble in the dark side at least once. You're not a true sports fan, I don't think, if you haven't done that. Coming up next, today is Leap Day, so which Seahawks need to take a leap in 2020? We give you our candidates coming up right here on Seattle Sports Saturday.